I wouldn't be in this race if I didn't feel good about it. I don't like tilting at windmills. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to waste my time. Next on Pure Politics, Lexington Mayor Jim Gray continues to tour the 6th District, announcing his run for Congress. We're talking to Gray about Trump, the polling, and attacks from the left. Plus, we're hearing from a Republican House member who's calling on Governor Bevin to stand down on calling a special session. Hear why. And how a Democratic House member is viewing Frankfurt these days. That and more next on Pure Politics. Lexington Mayor Jim Gray continued to roll out his congressional campaign in a series of stops today. Caught up with Gray in Winchester, where he met with a handful of supporters. Gray says he's learned from his failed U.S. Senate campaign last year that candidates need to stay informed on issues and listen to the people who will be heading to polls to cast ballots. He offered some criticism of President Donald Trump on topics like tax reform and recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But he also sees some room for agreement and compromise. I'll put it this way. I think the president could be more effective if he did less tweeting. It's divisive and it would be more productive for him to have a leadership style which brings people together rather than divides people. Now, if you're asking me whether or not I would support some of what President Trump advocates for, and for example, an infrastructure bill, I absolutely would. Now, I also believe that tax, our taxing structure should be fair to everybody. I told a story just earlier about a friend of mine who's very wealthy, and he described this tax bill as the biggest transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich in his lifetime. That's not good for America. We need people, middle class people, having opportunities. We need, we need those who today don't see opportunity to find a path to opportunity. That's what the American dream has been all about. And I will tell you, I've been lucky. I've lived the American dream. My father died when I was 19. We went through insolvency and bankruptcy and recovered. We live the American dream. Today that American dream is threatened. It's at risk. It's in trouble. And we got to do all we can to fix it. That's an issue that can be very troubling. Uh, it's one that the president has stepped out on. Of course, he promised it in the campaign. But if it leads to more if it leads to more disturbance in the Middle East, then that can be an unhealthy thing. So we all need to be careful. I also know that, you know, it's going to take time for that to get done, and he's known to change his mind. Now, Gray will face one thing in next year's congressional contest that he didn't last year, a competitive primary. He said he welcomes the intra-party challenge and says criticism from Democratic candidate Amy McGrath's campaign manager is a red herring. Well, I've always believed that primaries will build muscle in a good way uh, because it acquaints you with the issues, and that's the way the founders intended it when they created the system. So I'm fully okay with having a primary where you engage the, and debate the issues. That's, uh, the way it, that's the way it was intended, and that's the way it will come about, and that's okay. What we've done in Lexington is we have addressed crime intentionally and deliberately. 
we have more police on the streets today in Lexington than we've ever had, 630. We've equipped all of our police with good equipment, all of our public safety employees with great equipment and with the resources. And we're working on all of the issues associated with crime in every dimension, and that includes drugs. At the root of so much crime in our country today are drugs, the opioid epidemic, and we deserve more help from Washington, which is what a big part of what this campaign will be about, is absolutely working to bring people together to fight these really tough issues. Now, what I know is that at the root of crime as well as people that don't have hope and purpose. Good jobs give purpose and meaning in life. During last year's Senate race, Gray loaned his campaign $2.5 million. He declined to name a figure for how much he expected to dip into his personal wealth in next year's contest. We'll have a budget. Uh, we'll develop that budget and we'll have the resources that we need to engage a campaign. You know, I'm doing this for the right reasons, and that is to bring people together, to bring a common sense approach to government. Things in Washington need to improve. I've talked to people, and they agree with me that we need adult supervision in Washington. We need grown-ups in Washington, and we need people who understand how to bring people together, to reach across the aisle. I say routinely, not every Democratic idea is a good one, not every Republican idea is a bad one. We need to work together. When asked about polling and the amount of support he's received from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, Gray says he feels good about his position in the race and that he'll take all the help he can get. Well, I'm willing to take help and support from anyone. Uh, fortunately, we feel good about this race. I wouldn't be in this race if I didn't feel good about it. I don't like tilting at windmills. Not going to do that. Not going to waste my time. So we feel very good about the race, where we are today, and where we're going to be. And Gray is the latest entrant in a four-person Democratic primary field, hoping to take on Republican Congressman Andy Barr. He joins McGrath, State Senator Reggie Thomas, and perennial candidate Jeff Young in the 6th Congressional District's Democratic primary. Well, as 2017 winds down, one Northern Kentucky Republican lawmaker is asking Governor Matt Bevin to wait on calling a special session this December. Instead, Representative Kim Mosier wants lawmakers to return the first week of January in regular session and pass their pension reform legislation like they did key bills in the 2017 session. Financially, Mosier says it makes no sense to waste more than $360,000 bringing lawmakers back this year. You know, certainly, yeah, we all, uh, like you, you know, we all have lives and, uh, and we need to make plans and it's been difficult to do that. Um, we are more than willing to be here when we need to and do the work. Um, I, I feel strongly that we need to solve this problem. Um, I would say that, you know, now that we are so late into the year, I'm not sure that it makes a lot of sense, uh, especially financially. I think as fiscal conservatives that um, we need to be cognizant of, of the cost of bringing the legislators into a special session. Uh, we are so close to the regular session and I think in light of the fact that we were so productive in our first week last year that uh, I don't see why we we can't be that productive again if we need to focus our efforts on the pension in the first week.
Mosier believes House Republicans are close to hammering out a deal with the changes that have been made to the pension proposal since the first 500-page bill was released this summer. I think that we have talked about every aspect of this, uh, of this pension, and I just had a great meeting with three superintendents in my district uh, just yesterday. And so, you know, we're continuing to talk, we're continuing to look for solutions. I am uh, bringing all of these uh, important points back to our leadership as we talk through these issues. But um, the things I'm hearing now are not necessarily new issues. And so, we, yes, we have made a lot of changes to the original proposal. Um, what happens between the House and the Senate is um, I'm not privy to that. And so, um, we'll just see. Hopefully we can come to a resolution that uh, helps us solve this problem. Mosier admits that the House sexual harassment settlement scandal has served as a major distraction for lawmakers. At the time, they're trying to hammer out an agreement on the pension issue. Well, it's really unfortunate. It's really sad and disappointing, frankly. Um, I, you know, I think that uh, it has been a, a distraction, but maybe like you said, you know, this is uh, highlighting something that we needed to work on and really get a handle on. So I'm not afraid to uh, tackle this. I think that, uh, you know, we've certainly got our work cut out for us, but we, we have great resources as far as uh, legal teams and human resources and uh, you know we just and and I really would like to uh, listen to our constituents around the state and really get some feedback I think that you know there's a great deal of frustration right now with with some of the things that are happening so we need to make sure that uh, the legislators are are um, professionally uh, doing our work and that's really the bottom line like anyone else. House Republicans have been caucusing all week as part of their retreat, and most of the members have now signed on to a letter sent to Governor Matt Bevin, urging him not to call a special session, given the time of the year and the cost. They're asking Bevin to deal with pensions when the General Assembly convenes on January 2nd as part of that regular session. It's, it's, it's a mess, just to be honest with you. I'm a House Democrat stops by the show to talk about the state of Frankfurt and the flow of legislation in the minority party. The interview when we return. We're nearing the end of the year and a whole lot of questions are still up for debate that could affect everyday people in the Commonwealth. Today, Representative Chris Harris, a Democrat from Eastern Kentucky, stopped by the studio to talk about the state of Frankfurt and some of those major issues. I want to start first with kind of your thoughts on Frankfurt and kind of the state of Frankfurt right now. How do you think things are, are going right now in the state capitol? Well, it's, it's, it's a mess, just to be honest with you. I mean, we've got uh, all this talk of a special session, uh, tax reform, the sexual harassment uh, allegations that are out there floating around. Um, we're right now without a Speaker of the House, uh, mm -hmm. which, is a, uh, which is a big deal. And so uh, things right now are not, not going well in Frankfurt. So let's, uh, I want to touch on all those, those topics, but first let's start with this special session since it would have to happen sometime this month if we're going to do it in 2017. What's the latest that you're hearing? And uh, given you're a member of the minority party, so the, the governor's not necessarily talking to, to you, but, but what are you hearing from your colleagues? No, the, the governor has not called and told <laughs> me what he's going to do. I just know just from listening to uh, accounts uh, in the media that the governor has said there is a 100% chance mm -hmm. that there will be a special session this year. 
Um, he continues to say that there's going to be a special session this year. Um, I'm hearing from uh, both parties that there's really not much chance that anything is going to get done in a special session mm -hmm. if one were to be called. So it really does not, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense to call legislators from around the state together and uh, waste taxpayer dollars mm -hmm. just to, you know, say we're having a special session when nothing is agreed upon. Mm -hmm. There's no formal or no bill has been released. We don't know what, if a bill was released tomorrow, we wouldn't know what the cost of that bill would be to the taxpayer. So it's really just not a good, uh, not a good situation. Right, and we're talking about this uh, pension uh, reform proposal that, uh, well, perform reform legislation that could be uh, adopted by the Republican members of the House and the Senate, and uh, this would totally change uh, the way that pensions are enacted in Kentucky. And and what we're going off of now is a 505-page bill that uh, we've been told has been changed quite a bit, but we don't know what those changes are just yet. Yeah, uh, it, it, there's a lot of moving parts, um, and I personally, I don't think mm -hmm. that the votes are there to pass what has been proposed by the Republican majority in the House, the Senate, and the governor. I just don't think that the votes are there. Uh, I'm talking to not only people in my caucus, uh, but also people on the other side, mm -hmm. and there is a whole lot of pushback uh, on a lot of the provisions that are in that bill. You know, as as a member of the Democratic Party, do you think that the way to deal with the pension reform legislation is to rearrange and restructure these plans the way that the Republicans have, have gone about doing this by making changes to the teachers' plan, making changes to the government retirees' plans, or, or does it need to be another method at getting towards solvency? Well, I mean, here's the, the reality of it is if we would have been funding it the way it should have been funded all along, we wouldn't be in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, other states have been in situations similar to ours and they've taken a long-term approach to solving those problems and what it takes is funding. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to back off of the promises, the commitments that we've made to teachers and state and county employees. We need to step up to the plate and fund the way we did in the last budget, mm -hmm. fund the retirement systems, pension systems, and if we do that, the, the problem will resolve itself over time. Now, Republicans say that if they go down that road to generate the funds needed to pay the interest plus the principal, then they're going to have to cut state government by 15%. Uh, do you think that's a, a, a logical argument, and is there another way to generate the revenues to, to pay that there's down? No, there's no question that there are places that we can cut in mm -hmm. government. I mean, we've just had the Lexington Herald leaders have been doing a series of uh, stories on tax breaks that you know, could be eliminated, and, and that's one possible source of additional revenue. Uh, but, but doing that, um, you know, there's always room to cut. But, but if we just step up to the plate like we did in the last budget mm -hmm. and fund it in that way, I mean, it's, it's improved since last, since two years ago. Our retirement system, uh, the funding portion of it has improved. Mm -hmm. So if we continue along that path, we can do this. We can spread this out over 30 years and, and, uh, and solve our problem without going back on the promises and commitments that we've made to teachers and state and county employees. You know, we've heard a lot of talk about when something like this should happen. You know, the governor's very adamant, as you said, about doing this in a special session with the idea that lawmakers are just too busy in a regular session. Do you think that that's the case? Do you think that to do big things like tax reform or pension reforms or, or anything massive that you can't do those in a regular session? No, I don't think that at all. I think that if, if the Republicans can, um, you know, they can re 
repeal the prevailing wage and, and all the other things that they've, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the right to work law and, and tort reform, they can shove those things through uh, in the time that they did it this past year. Um, if there is an agreed uh, bill, mm -hmm. an agreement, I think that we can get this thing through without any problem, or they should be able to. I mean, obviously, they have the super majority in both the House and the Senate, mm -hmm. but the problem is, is selling that to people back home because what they would be doing if they passed this bill is be going back on the promises and commitments that have been made to our teachers and state employees, and that's not acceptable to not just me, but a lot of my Republican uh, uh, cohorts in the in the House. Do you, do you think at some point that Republicans, even though they've got those super majorities, move past looking for members of their own party to adopt these pieces of legislation and start talking to Democrats in an effort to enact some of these bills? Listen, I can tell you that across. The, not just the state of Kentucky, but across this country, people are tired of partisanship. They really are tired of it. Mm -hmm. And they want to see people working together without mind for which party you're involved in uh, or you're a member of. They want to see us coming together and working together mm -hmm. to get things done and to solve their problems. They're so tired of hearing about partisan uh, politics and, and partisan bickering and partisan voting, yeah. for that matter. Well, you mentioned another major hurdle for the legislature, especially uh, those of you in the House to deal with, and that's the fact that there's not a Speaker of the House right now. Uh, Representative Hoover has resigned as Speaker uh, because of a sexual harassment uh, settlement. Mm -hmm. How is that playing out uh, from, from your view, and how long do you think this can go on? Well, I mean, right now it's, it's almost you know like a soap opera. It's every day there's a new uh, revelation, a new allegation, um, and I mean, I, the way I look at this is this: we just need to know the truth. We need to get to the bottom of what actually happened, what occurred. Uh, Representative Hoover deserves, um, as well as the other members who have been uh, the, the subject of these uh, claims, they all deserve to have an opportunity to tell their story and to be heard. And, and I think that the Legislative Ethics Committee uh, commission mm -hmm. has the authority and it is now uh, involved in this investigation and I hope that they will do a thorough thorough job and f let the people of Kentucky know exactly what happened so that we can move on from there. Do you think that legislative ethics has the teeth, obviously they've got subpoena power, but do they have the teeth to really hurt uh, a member of uh, the legislature and you know, enacting some kind of finding? No, not, to, uh, not the criminal teeth that I would like to see it have. Mm -hmm. um, it's been called, I mean, other you know, negative things have been said about the power that the Legislative Ethics Commission uh, has to actually censor uh, or uh, remove a legislator. Mm -hmm. um, that is currently left up to the body. So a right. Senate can determine when to expel a senator. The House can determine when to expel a House member. There's always things that you know, we could see tweak. Such a bad bill, it's hard to see how we make it significantly better. As lawmakers in the U.S. Capitol attempt to merge the House and Senate versions of a bill in conference committee, what's next for tax reform? We'll recap the key differences between the two and which pieces lawmakers are going to bat for.
Now that the Republican majority in the Senate has passed their bill to overhaul the U.S. tax code, a new process begins. And it could be just as complicated melding the two tax bills into one so it can pass both chambers of Congress and go on to President Trump for his signature. Our Washington, D.C. bureau reporter, Samantha Joe Roth, takes a look at where things stand in that process. House Republicans have voted to move ahead on negotiating with the Senate on their far-reaching overhaul of the nation's tax code. Well, in a bill as sweeping and comprehensive as this tax reform, there's always things that you know, we could see tweak and a number of things that impact our folks back home that we're still in conversation with conferees about. Congressman Richard Hudson is making sure his voice is heard, speaking with members who have been selected to serve on the conference committee that will formally sort out the differences between the two tax bills. Some of the key differences between the House and Senate include what the tax brackets and rates should be and whether the legislation should include a repeal of an Obama-era mandate to buy health insurance. The Supreme Court determined that the Affordable Care Act was a tax, not a health care bill. So I think well, it's fair to address it in our tax reform. Uh, the individual mandates can impact a lot of families in North Carolina. And so uh, I'm very supportive of leaving that in the, the final tax package. Most of the work of the conference committee will happen in private negotiations between party leaders and committee staff. Democrats will serve on the committee, but they're outnumbered by Republicans and aren't expected to greatly influence the process. Such a bad bill, it's hard to see how we make it significantly better. Democratic Congressman Lloyd Doggett has a seat at the table. He was named to the conference committee on Monday. He says he's concerned he'll be left out of negotiations, but he'll continue to push to see more changes made to the final version of the bill. I am sure that there'll be every reason to use secrecy and speed as they have to date to try to circumvent the conference process. I'm concerned about the impact on the students and those with student debt, on those who have a sick member of their family and excess medical expenses. On those issues, the Senate bill appears to be better. On some other issues, the House bill is better. Republicans hope to vote on the final conference report in the House and Senate by December 22nd. In Washington, Samantha Giroth, Spectrum News. And Time Magazine has named the 2017 Person of the Year. Title goes to the Silence Breakers, those who came forward with their experiences of sexual harassment and abuse this year, spawning a movement that shined a light on the prevalence of sexual misconduct in America and across all industries. The movement was given momentum through the Me Too hashtag on social media, prompting a discussion on the subject and calls for change. And that does it for tonight's edition of Pure Politics. Remember, you can stay up to date by checking out our websites, mycn2.com, and then clicking on politics. And also follow us over on Twitter and on Facebook. Thanks for watching, and thanks for being informed. Have a great night.